James, chapter 3. We call it Wise Words. Want to hear about some wise words? All right, so we're going to talk about what the ESV calls the taming of the tongue and the wisdom from above. Um, now, first, before we totally get into it, I've got to ask you a question. Like, What do we do with our words? Right? What are, what are words for? What is what are words all about? What what are the potential things that we can do with our words? Um, now do this. Stick your tongue out at the person next to you. You see that right there? Right there. See that? That is what we're gonna talk about tonight. The tongue. Alright. And we're gonna ask about what is it that we do with this tongue? And like, why is it, why is this little tiny thing in our mouth can, you know, making up a whole half a chapter in the book of James, this book of wisdom, this book that's like really intensely practical, this book that's filled with all kinds of images that help us to understand these big ideas that James is talking about brings them down into these images to get them into our minds. And it's my prayer that these images and that these words, we would allow them to get into our minds and into our hearts and allow them to not just be in one ear and out the other, but as James says earlier in the book, that we would be not only hearers of the word, but that we would be what? Doers. Doers. Good. Of the word. So, it's my hope and prayer that we would let these words sink deeply into our souls and allow it to transform it and allow this text right here to even confront us and correct us. Right? Because I think that in a, in a good, healthy helpful way we all need that good healthy confrontation good healthy correction right in the way that the lord as a loving father would do that to us we all need that and not and we need to learn as we grow up to be the kind of people who receive that and not reject that right so what do we do with our words what is the purpose let's just start reading through james and see what's up. Not many of you should become teachers. You're like, hang on, James, don't say stuff like that. That's we want everybody to be in ministry and to do things like teach and, and help people and stuff, right? So right off the bat, James is like kind of pulling a Jesus. Maybe they were like, you know, from the same family or something. Sometimes James kind of sounds a little like Jesus, just in the way that he talks and handles things. But he goes, not many of you should become teachers. Don't do it. Don't you do it. And it reminds me of Jesus, how sometimes it almost seemed like because he knew the shape of a man's heart, it almost seemed like Jesus was talking people out of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when he convinces the rich young ruler, like, no, you don't really want this. And he's like, yeah, no, I really do. And he's like, okay, sell everything you want. 
Come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away with his head hung low in shame because he knew that he couldn't bring himself to sell all his possessions. That was his idol. Right? And Jesus effectively said, hey, you, you don't want to do this. Like, I know you say you want to do this, but I know what's going on in your heart, and you don't really want to do this. And this is kind of what James is doing. He's like, not many of you should desire to become teachers. And you're like, no, James, that's bad advice. You tell everybody that they should do ministry and become teachers. And here's why James says, not many of you should desire this. Because James understands the weight of what it means to be a teacher. Right? The weight of what it means to be a teacher. There's a lot of weight that comes with teaching. There's a lot of the burden of responsibility that comes with being a teacher. Because you see this thing? The tongue? There's so much that can be done with this tongue that it means because of the potential for good and for bad that we have with this tongue, because things could go terribly well or significantly bad, you need to watch your tongue. You need to probably not even desire to become teachers because here's what he says, my brothers, for know that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that like cuts right to my heart as a teacher, right? I will be judged more strictly because I'm a teacher. And I personally need to feel the weight of that statement. Am I taking this with all the weight of what it's worth? Am I, am I flippant with my words? Or am I carefully and prayerfully crafting the words that God would have me speak so that they would accomplish his will? Do you know that our words can either further God's kingdom or they can work against God's kingdom? And that's why somebody who is a teacher will... That's why people should not desire necessarily to become teachers. If we have the gift of teaching, by all means do it. But he's saying, hey, listen, I just want you to realize this is important. You'll be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. We've got to get this. We all stumble in many ways. Some of us, like teachers, are going to stumble with our words. Right? Sometimes a teacher with his words will stumble. Sometimes a teacher with his words will cause another to stumble. But we, we must realize that we all stumble in this life. And we become hypocritical judgmental, harsh, the type of people that you don't want to be around when we forget that we all stumble. So you can't expect this perfection from everybody. We have to expect that everybody stumbles, everybody makes mistakes, everybody is in process 
all the time. The only question is, are you getting closer to and more like Jesus or farther away and less like Jesus? Which direction are you going? Everybody stumbles in many different ways. For some people, it's this way. For some people, it's that thing. For this person, it's this thought. For this person, it's that word. It's gossip. It's slander. It's websites that we shouldn't look at. It's whatever the case is. Everybody stumbles. And the answer to the stumbling is always and forever grace. In fact, do you remember back in chapter 2 when... James reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is a better word than judgment. So don't you know that when we all continually stumble in many ways, that what we ought to have for each other is mercy. We all need to learn at a deeper level mercy. Wouldn't that be great if the Lord returned and looked at us and he said, you are a merciful people. Would that be much, much better than him returning and saying, you are a judging people. Right? Be a merciful people. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Right? Able also to bridle his whole body. To bridle means to have under the rule and reign of. Right? To bridle his body. To bridle his body, to bridle his tongue, to bridle his mind, to bridle his heart. You are a better person if you are bridled. Does that make sense? I'll explain more. When I see a person who has, the word I use is, they've mastered themselves. When I see a person who's mastered themselves, I respect that person so much. Because a person who has not mastered themselves and is always just willy-nilly, out of control, does not have a sense of discipline, does not have a work ethic, is loose with their tongue, is backbiting and hurting and gossiping with their tongue. When I see that person, I lose respect for them. And when I see that in me, I lose respect for myself. Right? So what I aspire to is what I see in other great men. That other great men have mastered themselves. They are not a slave to their own desires. They tell their own desires to shut up sometimes. <laughs> right? Their desires do not rule them. Better is this man who has bridled himself, just as a horse is bridled. Right? For if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, a bit, little tiny piece of metal that we put in the mouth of the horse so that we can turn them to the right or to the left. So if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, 
we guide their whole bodies as well. We put this little tiny piece of metal in their mouth and it operates their entire body, where they go and where they walk and where they run, right? He's saying this is, should, is how we should be. We should have little bits in our mouth, though it is little. We've given the power to control the bit to the Lord. That he turns our head and our whole body goes there. Does that make sense? He turns our heart a little bit. And we go in full force. See, if a great and powerful horse can be controlled by a little tiny piece of metal, that is exactly how the Lord wants to have and to use us. See, the Lord is not impressed with our demonstrations of power and might. He's not impressed. We're impressed. Some other people are impressed. Some other people are annoyed. The Lord is not impressed with our demonstrations of power to show how awesome we are. He says, no, what I desire is a man or a woman who, though they are strong, they are yielded. Though they are mighty and powerful, they allow the little bit in their mouth to turn their whole entire body. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whenever the will of the pilot directs. Little rudder on a big ship. Think about huge ship. Think about like the Titanic, right? The, the Titanic is huge. And this little tiny rudder guides the entire ship in the direction that it would go. Now, what we're saying here is that who is our pilot? Our pilot is Jesus. And if we allow Jesus to rule and reign in our life to guide our rudder and to change the entire direction of our course and of our ship, if we give Jesus the power to pilot our rudder, we will live great lives. Most people give that power of the rudder to others. They give their power away, right? And they like others to move their rudder and to tell them where to go. Because then you're not held responsible for any of your own decisions. You always have a built-in excuse of, well, they, they did it, they said it, they made me, right? However, a person devoted unto the Lord who gives Jesus the power to guide their rudder is a powerful man or a powerful woman. Now check this out. Rudders don't have to move very much to change the entire course of a ship. Right? And ships don't turn abruptly. Ships, ships turn slowly. They make 
arcs. They make subtle turns. They navigate according to compasses and according to the stars and according to the winds. And, and, what's, and by reading what's going on at that moment. And the pilot constantly will adjust the rudder of the ship, especially if the seas are stormy. If the seas are stormy, the pilot must make wise decisions in guiding that rudder so as to not cause harm to everybody involved. He bears the weight of more responsibility because of his control over the rudder. Now, in smooth seas, tiny little adjustments would get you going in the right direction. In rough seas, it takes just here, just there, responding to the situation, this wave, that crash, that wind, right? And likewise, when we're in storms in our life, sometimes it feels like the Lord is throwing our rudder all over the place. But we're blessed when the Lord pilots our rudders. So also, in that same way, a tongue, the tongue, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What do you boast in? What do you brag about? You brag about where you went, who you hung out with, what you did, what you saw, how much money you made, how, what, what do you brag about? What do you boast in? See, depending on what we boast about will determine how useful we are with our tongue. Are we useless with our tongue? Or are we useful with our tongue? Do we boast well? And yes, you can boast well. Or do we boast poorly with our tongue? Do we use our tongue to build ourselves up and to tear other people down, which is generally how most people use their tongue. Is that how we use it? Or do we use our tongue like a skillful, skillfully navigated instrument to give life and to discern and to use wisdom, and to ask the proper question at the proper time, and to build others up, even if it's at the expense of making ourselves not look as good. How do we use our tongue? We can boast of great things with our tongue. We can boast... In Jesus Christ. We can boast of his grace. We can boast of the works that he's done. And these are things that we can do to use our tongue for great things. Or, by contrast, we can use our tongue poorly and foolishly in such a way that our tongue is building us up, tearing others down, and bringing worse problems into our situation. 
Here's one of the images. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Do you know that your little tongue... Look at it again. Do you know that your little tongue can set a whole fire, a whole forest on fire? I'm speaking figuratively. Like you're not going to strike your tongue against like a matchbox and right, light a forest on fire. But that's what you do when you spread gossip. Right? Some of us, we hear like the word of gossip and we so lack self-control that we can't even keep it in us that the first person that we find, we're going to go run to him and oh my gosh, did you hear? Right? And James is saying, don't you know that with that little impulse right there, and you being so impulsive, you can set an entire forest on fire. You can set an entire family on fire. You can set an entire church on fire. You can set an entire city on fire with this. He goes, I want you to feel the weight of these words. And because you can do that with your little tongue, it's probably not a good idea that most of you desire to be teachers. <laughs> right? Because teachers are using their words all the time. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Most commonly, our tongue is used for unrighteousness. Not for righteousness sake. The tongue is set among our members, straining or staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Oh my. Saying just with the tongue, you have the power to mess everything up, to mess people's lives up, to mess people's communities up. You have the power in this little thing to set the fires of hell on a situation. Do you want to be responsible for the fires of hell? No. I sure don't. That's why I got to be careful as a teacher, man. With my tongue, as a teacher, I could potentially set the fires of hell on a group, on a class, on a community, on a group that I'm preaching to. Man, do I want to stand before Jesus and he's like, you set the fires of hell with your tongue. That's not what I brought you here to do. I don't want to stand there before him and have, them, have him say that to me. It goes on, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. You can tame an animal, you can domesticate a dog, you can teach Fido to fetch, right? But you cannot tame the tongue. Men can't 
tame the tongue. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is sounding worse by the minute. The tongue sets fires. It could be responsible for hellfires, and you can't tame it. What am I to do? It's stuck there. Should I cut it out? And Jesus is like, well, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and you're like, oh my gosh. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your tongue causes you to sin, what do you think? Cut it. Cut it. Because it's better for you to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Alright. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord. We sing praise and hallelujah. We sing amazing grace. We sing... Well, blessed is the Lord. We sing great old-fashioned, like, 90s, shout to the Lord on the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the king, right? You guys missed it. You missed, you missed the 90s, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so... Nobody can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It never gives up. It's full of deadly poison. (laughs) With it, we bless our Lord and our Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in his likeness or in the likeness of the Father. Do you know that gossiping and talking behind people's backs is just as bad as murder? Murder is terrible because when we murder, we destroy the image of God in a human being. That's why it's bad, right? Not just because we felt like making it bad, right? It's not bad if I go kill a cow and eat it. That is not bad because the cow does not bear the image of God. The cow does not bear the image of God. It's bad if I kill a human because the human bears the image of God. Hypothetically, it's not bad if I gossip about a cow. It is bad if I gossip about a human because the human bears the image of God. And I destroy the image of God in a human being when I talk behind their back and when I gossip and when I slander about them. And that is the same thing you're doing when you murder, destroying the image of God in a human being. Feel this. James isn't messing around tonight. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth at the same opening both fresh and salt water? Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear Olives. I like these questions that James asks. He's just right to the point. Can a fig tree bear olives? And you're like, well, no. It can't. Or can a grapevine produce figs? And you're like, I've never seen that one done. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You're like, oh my gosh, James, you are brilliant. Here's what he's saying with all these images. You can't have 
talking behind people's back, gossiping over here on one side, and then turn around and sing worship. Those don't go hand in hand. Do olives grow from a fig tree? No. Does praise come from a cursing mouth? Well, no, I guess. No, it doesn't. So then what are we to do with all this stuff? You listen to this and you listen to James and you're like, wow, this is just a big mess. This is just, I'm just feeling terrible. I can't control my tongue. What is this? I'm never going to tame it. It's not like a house pet. I can't teach it to sit and stay and play dead, right? What if you could tell your tongue to play dead? (laughs) That'd be good. Well, check this out. What do we do with the chaos of the tongue? It's always making messes. It's making things worse and not better. What do we do with chaos when we encounter chaos? Well, let's take a, let's take a page out of Jesus' book. Okay? It's always good to do. Take a page out of his book. What does Jesus do? with chaos. What does he do with it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. But then the earth was like formless and void. The earth was chaos. The earth was without order. And what did God do? God spoke with his words, and he made everything beautiful. He made it so beautiful that he looked at it and he goes, wow, that's really good. I imagine just God like being really impressed with what he did, like, oh yeah, that's really good, right? How did he turn chaos and ugliness into the beauty of creation? You see, he applied wisdom in the form of creativity with his words. Ready? Wisdom in the form of creativity with his words. He created with his words. He said, let there be. And he brought order out of chaos. That's called wisdom. Bringing order out of chaos is wisdom. When you make things chaotic that don't make sense, make sense, that's wisdom. And he spoke his word into this chaos. Who is his word? Who is the word? (laughs) Jesus, right. Jesus is the word. God spoke his Jesus into the chaos. And with the wisdom of creativity. Do you know that when you create, you're being wise? Because you're making something beautiful out of nothing. That's what God did. Now, we don't create out of nothing. We create out of the materials that he gave us, but we have the ability to create. And when we create, we are being wise. Does that make sense? Now, God spoke with wisdom into the disorder and created order out of it and made it beautiful. Here's what we're going to see here. Who is wise 
and understanding among you? Wise and understanding. Easier way to put it, I'm going to say this. Who among you gets it? And who doesn't get it? Like, who, who are you looking at? And you're like, man, that just, it's probably not a good idea to go get advice from them because they don't get it. Right? Who do you want to go get advice from when you're having a tough situation, when you're having a problem? Who do you want advice from? Somebody who gets it. Somebody who has wisdom and understanding. Somebody who can hear your problem and discern the disorder of your problem and apply their wisdom to it and creatively come up with some kind of advice or solution that will make your life better. That's who you want to talk to, right? So who among you is understanding and wise? By his good conduct, let him show the works in the meekness of wisdom. You know wisdom is meek? You know that meek is a lot like that bridled tongue? Or the bridled horse? The horse with the bit in his mouth? The horse that says, I have the bit in my mouth, and though I could do whatever I want right now, I will allow the master to control where I go. That is meekness. Withholding your strength, and not giving it away, but withholding your strength. And wisdom is meek. Wisdom withholds its strength. When wisdom does not put everything on the line, fizzle out right away, and wisdom is sustainable. Wisdom has endurance. Wisdom is meek, and it's not trying to show off. It's not trying to impress. It just is what it is. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you are selfish and bitter in your jealousy, boom. Don't boast in that. Because whoever boasts when they're filled with selfish ambition, whoever boasts only makes situations worse and they only glorify themselves and tear others down because they lack the wisdom, the wisdom of meekness. The wisdom of meekness says, I do not have to build myself up with my words. I simply am me. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He was quoting the great theologian, Popeye. Anyway. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. There's demonic wisdom. Did you know that? There is unspiritual wisdom. Did you know that? Sounds good, but it's not spiritually good. The true wisdom is not coming up from the earth. The true wisdom is coming from somewhere else. True wisdom is coming down from above. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. In other words, chaos. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, chaos, destruction, 
strife between the brethren, brokenness in relationships. But the wisdom from above, not the earthly wisdom, but the heavenly wisdom, the heavenly wisdom is pure and then peaceable and then gentle. And the wisdom from above is open to reason. The wisdom from above listens before it speaks. The wisdom from above is willing to accept, hey, I could be wrong right now. Right? That's wisdom. Full of mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, right? If somebody is applying true wisdom, they will be seeking mercy in a situation. And it says good fruits. If somebody is truly applying wisdom, they will be seeking everybody's best interest. Not tipping the scales in their favor and what's best for me and what's worse for you and I will take advantage of you. No. Wisdom looks for good fruits. Wisdom looks at a chaotic situation and says, hey, what good can I bring out of this? Right? And it is impartial and sincere. Pretty straightforward. The scales of justice are even for the person who has wisdom. It's sincere. It's honest. It's forthright. It's not hiding its motives. And listen to this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What should you be in this world? What should you do with your tongue? If you are applying wisdom, if you are using your tongue for good and not for harm, if you're being the person that God wants you to be with your tongue, what will you end up as in this world? According to James, you'll be a peacemaker. And because you are a peacemaker, a harvest of righteousness will come out of the situation that you're in. Even if it looks destructive and chaotic, you can pray to the Lord, give me wisdom. James says, hey, anybody who asks asks for wisdom does well because the Lord gives it generously, abundantly. Hey, is there chaos going on? Pray for wisdom. And if you get wisdom, that means you're going to use your tongue better. And if you use your tongue better, then in a chaotic situation, you will be the person that's bringing peace and stability and calmness to the situation. You will be putting out fires, not setting forests ablaze, as James says, with your words. You can be like God. You can imitate God by speaking into chaotic disorder and making it better and beautiful and creative and whole and righteous and set apart for him just with your words. See, wisdom brings order and life. What can we do with our words? Why do we have to be careful with this tongue? Why do we have to think about what we say? 
Why do we have to have a filter in front of our mouths and not just say anything we want willy-nilly? Why? Because we have the power for tremendous good and tremendous bad with our tongue. With this little thing, like the rudder on a ship, we can shape a whole community. We can change the course of a person's life with our tongue, for better or for worse. Now, if you're doing this whole thing right, you are speaking into people in a way that builds up, not tears down. You are being positive and not negative. You're being optimistic and not cynical, right? I heard this quote the other day. It said, being positive is not being naive. It's leadership. Do you want to be a leader? Speak positive. Speak life. Build people with your words. Build communities with your words. Just in the same way that God built the universe with his words. So we too can build and give life and resurrect forests that have been burnt down in the past and touch people's wounds in a redemptive way that brings them back to life as a whole brand new person. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the good word from James, and I pray that we would take this to heart. God, that we would make it a part of our lives, and God, that we would, we would give some serious headspace to what we do with our words and with our tongue. And are we wise and foolish with it? God, give us an abundance of wisdom. Teach us to be wise with our words. God, let us build your kingdom with our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.